This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The following show has a lot of explicit content. I'm sure you'll like it because of that. It's Monday, March 28th, 2022. From Peachfish Productions, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I have spoken on this program about the difference between a hard-to-answer question and a good question. We are going to plumb that difference again today. So some background. After what would have been remembered as a stirring speech in Poland over the weekend, President Joe Biden appended his remarks with a bit of an international incident. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. Hey, hey, ho, ho. The head of a nuclear state will simply not go. So... Just as when the president seemed to improv, yes, he is a war criminal, and White House spokesperson Jen Psaki talked about his feelings. He was speaking from his heart. So too did Julianne Smith, the U.S. ambassador to NATO, speaking on CNN, make an appeal to emotion, specifically the president's. In the moment, I think that was a principled human reaction. I'm sure it was, but quite obviously, I Get So Emotional Baby is a fine sentiment for Whitney Houston, less so for the President of the United States, just as number one is great on Billboard, less so for the DEF CON. And here's where the tough question that also happens to be a bad question comes in. Ambassador Smith performed her function adhering to best walk back practices, which is to say they walked it back with the closest version of the truth that also advances the national agenda. She tried to. She said, look, the guy's emotional. We can all understand. He was in Poland. He was overcome. But of course he doesn't mean that. And I say, give the ambassador or a presidential spokesperson the space to assert that. Because with a little space, a little breathing room, Perhaps the nuclear temperatures begin to decline as maybe the DEFCON begins to raise. But no, Dana Bash of CNN thought that she should poke prod, maybe trip up the ambassador. Because there is uh, some murkiness out there. You said that the U.S. policy is not regime change, full stop. Does that mean the U.S. believes Putin should stay in power? Obviously not, but I can't say so. It's not in U.S. interest to say so. It's not in Putin's interest to say so. It's not in the interest of journalism to catch me in a contradiction on this one. I've seen the Nielsen numbers. They're much worse after a nuclear attack. Why is the press this way? Here's a good follow-up. Everyone likes a nice follow-up. You say, okay, Madam Ambassador. But this is the second time that the White House pointed to emotion or, quote, human reaction as an explanation to an unwise, possibly dangerous statement. Should the American people worry about that? Or you want to be less domestic? Should the Western alliance be concerned with that? Whatever. Not, come on. 
You really want to oust Vlad the imploder, don't you? Lest I seem like I'm leaning on press critique, my peak is with the press. My deep concern is with the president. Biden has been doing and saying almost everything right, but every once in a while he says a wrong thing and they cause great damage, these things. The White House knows this as they know that the pointlessly aggressive journalistic follow-up can be batted away a lot easier than the pointedly aggrieved dictator. On the show today, well, I could talk about a $6.8 trillion budget, a judge ruling Trump could be open to criminal charges, or the Supreme Court justice's wife, who's an anti-democratic conspiracist, I instead choose to speak about an actor slapping a comic, and here's why. Well, I will get to most of those things. Can't, can't promise covering the budget. It's kind of a show. But that universally seen slap is a true cultural moment. I'm out here. Uh-oh. Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. It tells us a little bit about the human condition, which is, by the way, why we watch drama, why we tune into things like movies in the first place. What we saw was part indicator, part indictment of where we are now, and so that will be the spiel. In the interview, sex, college kids hooking up. Now I'm gonna make it even more tantalizing. A nationally representative sample. Informed by my ethic of, huh, that sounds interesting. Wait a minute, I have a show where I talk about things that are interesting. I chose to interview Professor Aditi Paul, author of The Current Collegiate Hookup Culture, Dating Apps, Hookup Scripts, and Sexual Outcomes. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Well, you know the gist is an eclectic place, but today I'm going to go a little far afield. Challenge yourself, my producer said, and so I shall. The topic, college hookups, how often they occur, what they mean. An interesting new study is out by Professor Aditi Paul, who teaches communication and media studies at Pace University. Someone had to do the research. She did it. Let's find out how. Hello, Professor Paul. Welcome to The Gist. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for making me sound so important. <laughs> You're very important. Beyond just making you sound important, you know, I do a lot of research on my guests and uh, you have a lot of ratings from your students. And one says, loved her. She's a queen. Hashtag Aditi <laughs> Paul for all. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> you look me up on ratemyprofessors.com. That's, that's, that's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. <laughs> that's right. But Aditi Paul for all as a hashtag, I mean, that will sweep you into office. <laughs> unless, unless your findings are too controversial. So, Go, well, let's even back up. What is your general area of study? So my general area of study has always been the marriage of technology and personal relationships. Uh, and that stems from my background in computer science and communication studies. So I'm always looking for ways in which technology is transforming the landscape of uh, relationships of how we understand ourselves and how we understand our partners. So I guess since every study has a big question, 
Am I safe to presume? And I read it, and there are several questions that are being asked, but was the big driver, you know, they have studied um, sex and casual sex and hooking up on college campuses, but they haven't really studied it since Tinder and Bumble got huge. Was that one of the big drivers for this study? So Tinder and Bumble have always been in the forefront of how college students and young people are using them, uh, but they haven't been tied together in the traditional hookup culture that has been studied since forever. Uh, and I really wanted to dig deeper into that question that we have this prevalent hookup culture in college campuses. Um, and we have this new player, Tinder and Bumble and, and Grindr and, and 10,000 other apps that were invented yesterday. How are they transforming this already existing hookup culture that's there? How is it helping students um, pave their way into the unknown world of sexual exploration. And when you say studied forever, I mean, you have the theory of dating put forth by Waller 85 years ago. That does go back pretty far. So this isn't something that just academics studying hookup culture or whatever we call it now. They didn't just invent it in the last 12 years. Yeah, it's uh, it, and it blew my mind when I was reading Willard Waller talking about dating the way we talk about hookups, because whenever you talk about hookups, especially to older generation, and I'm including myself in that conversation where we always have this back in our day uh, moral compass where, oh, we had such a better landscape to foster personal romantic relationships. And we herald dating as this holy grail that every romantic relationship should strive for. And, and guess what? Dating has been vilified the same way hookups have are being vilified right now it's it's a relationship that does not have um it's not as consequential as marriage so it seems like it's casual well we have taken cash i was going to say casualty <laughs> we have taken casualness uh, a little bit forward that okay i mean dating is cat is serious in comparison to hookups now um, what dating was to marriages before hookups is to dating right now Right. So we're going to let's just put a pin on the Tinder question uh, for a second and first define our terms. And I thought it was interesting. I was talking to my wife about this. We had a different definition of hookups. What is the definition? So there has been a whole lot of back and forth in the academic community as well. Uh, and that can be attributed to the fact that older professors were trying to dig this phenomenon that younger people were entrenched in. So we used our idea of what we thought were hookups, but then incremental studies uh, led to a revision of, of the term hookups. And right now it stands as this, that is a hookup is a sexual encounter between two people who could be friends, who could be acquaintances, who could be strangers, and they can have something sexual happening within, with it, like between each other. And it doesn't have to be full-blown sex. It can be making out, it can be oral sex, it can be anything. Um, and it does not um have any set expectation of a commitment and this hookup contrary to what other people thought before is not a one-time thing this can happen multiple times so essentially you're doing something sexual with a friend or an acquaintance or a stranger multiple times uh for an elongated period of time or for once so you let the people doing the hooking up define hooking up and like you said could be making out and could be sex but the interesting thing that i found about this is that the women in your study use the phrase hooking up to protect themselves or their reputation in a way by by emphasizing the ambiguity in a way the men didn't, I think. 
Yes. Um, so as much as we think that we are living in this utopia world where there is equality in terms of sexual freedom and sexual exploration, there is still a significant stigma that women in the United States uh, and across the world to varying degrees have to face. So yeah, there are no differences in the number of sexual partners that a man and a woman may have, but the way a woman expresses her sexual agency is still highly censored, it's still highly filtered, just to make sure that they're saving face, that they don't have to suffer from the pushback that society may give them because of their sexually liberal attitude and behaviors. But how much of a stigma is there um, to the women themselves and maybe to others judging them? The stigma appears not when things are okay, but when things go south. Um, so research shows that, you know, women are supposed, women sex, men sexed as well. But when the relationship goes sour, it's the women who face the brunt of things like revenge porn and and um when when condom negotiation comes in it's the women who are victims of stealthing so in terms of how much of a stigma is there uh, when women express themselves sexually well on the upfront on the on the front view of it not much but the repercussions coming from it are extremely skewed in a way which disadvantages women which could make them worry Another interesting finding of your study is that hookups are not perfectly egalitarian, but more egalitarian than dating. I thought that was interesting. Has that changed from what the last set of findings found? Hookups have uh, this notion that it should be more egalitarian because it's more casual. It doesn't resort to the norms of dating where a man asks a woman out. Those are diluting for sure if you compare it to dating, but a lot of other things, for example, um, men having a higher propensity of escalating physical interaction compared to women or men disproportionately um, uh, initiating sexual activities more than women. In those ways, uh, Gen Z, whether they like it or not, are upholding the tenets of uh, gendered behavior, even in an egalitarian situation like hookups. But in other ways, uh, for example, in dating apps, when I asked students to narrate the kind, the, the course of action that they took, I, I did see that women too um, take up the duty of initiating the hookup at least maybe not the sexual interaction within the hookup but hey do you do you want a dtf um that way and men on the other hand they're very open to talking they're open to getting to know their partner it's not just about oh she has a fine butt i want to you know uh, get down with her. Uh, it's also like, hey, is she a nice person to vibe with, right? Like, can I have a conversation? Is she cool? Uh, so those are those are the ways in which they are challenging gendered behaviors. So maybe I got too far into it before I asked, I think the most important question, hookup, hookup culture, is that working out for everyone on campus or most people? Do they report enjoyment in general from their hookups? <laughs> um, yeah. Very to to my amazement, they do. It's it's not all bad. It's giving them a freedom that previous generations did not have. I mean, either they had to struggle with medical complexities or social complexities, but right now, thank God, we are moving into an area, or or hopefully, we are 
progressively moving into a place where uh, we are not vilified or penalized for our sexual choices. So in that way, yes, their sexual satisfaction was higher. But at the same time, uh, there was a huge gap in the percentage of men who reported an orgasm versus women. Now, not to say that orgasms are the only way of sexual pleasure. There are other ways as well. But in that way, if you're quantifying, are they enjoying it or not? Only in terms of orgasms, men seem to be enjoying it a little bit more than women. Yes, the orgasm gap. And as you write, and I want to ask you about this, In other words, orgasming during hookups increased the intensity of feeling happy, excited, proud, and confident. I wrote, I don't know if you can see the notes. I did write duh on my, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so not insulted, but do you have to, do you have to include that to like getting good with the other sociologists? (laughs) You know, there are, there are so many things and then I'll be the first one to say uh, where, a lot of sociological, a lot of social science research, when they come out, it's like, oh, well, no shit. Like, of yeah. course, of course, this is the thing. But we're like, we're like just... oh, so you're meeting our species for the first time? Right. Yeah. I mean, but it's it's purely there to for somebody to like throw it on somebody, some, somebody else's face. I'm like, when somebody says, oh, organisms are not, not important. I'm like, well, according to research, <laughs> it is <laughs> to just pull on that thread. I think I think research, which are dope oriented need to be done nonetheless. What is the percentage of people, men, women, uh, who enjoy their last hookup? Both men and women show that they enjoyed medium to high, uh, enjoyed the hookup in that uh, in that level. And there was no statistically significant difference in the level of enjoyment um, in terms of uh, sexual satisfaction from their last hookup. So it was women were just as likely to experience sexual satisfaction as men. So it was interesting to see because women were less likely to experience orgasm, but they were just as likely to report a satisfactory hookup compared to men. Now, does it mean that orgasms don't matter? They really do. Uh, for for women, sexual satisfaction, uh, orgasms are a significant predictor of sexual satisfaction, but so is sexual choice. So one of the st- uh, findings that I saw was when men report regretting their last hookup, it was purely because they were not sexually attracted to their mates. But when women report regret from their last hookup, it was because they didn't have a choice. That is, they hooked up with this person uh, even when they didn't want to hook up with them. So uh, so uh, uh, a reluctant hookup is something that really dampens women's experience of satisfaction. It's not, it's not from other things. So that gets to a very interesting finding, which touches on areas like sexual assault or non-consensual hookups. Um, first of all, what you were just talking about, women reporting that they didn't have a choice, would we call this, what, would we call this sexual assault necessarily? Would we call it non-consensual or is it something else in terms of feeling that they don't have a choice? Well, when we when we go into that discussion, it's it's so tricky because we try to assess if we are right or wrong based on the framework that has been presented to us without ever questioning the framework. So in terms of sexual assault, 
No, women did not count this as sexual assault, but I did ask them, did you hook up with this person even if you didn't want to? So yeah, technically they did say yes, but was it enthusiastic consent? Was it consent out of obligation? Did they report it? None of that. So do you consider this as assault? Do you consider this as bad sex? Well, the framework that we are presented with does not allow us to ask these questions because it's so black and white it doesn't allow for any gray areas so what i found really really interesting is that and this was new in your research that you found that a higher percentage of male students reported sexual assault on all counts compared to female college students and they were it was a statistically significant difference i'm looking at the stats here the question did your hookup partner touch you sexually without your consent 11% of female students said yes. 24% of male students say yes. What, what do we make of those findings? What did you make of them? You know, I, I see these results with so much caution um, because somebody can use these results and say, oh, well, look, like female sexual assault is down. Um, well, not really. Women are also more likely to not report something. Thing. So just because the counts are less doesn't mean that women were not sexually assaulted, women did not experience non-consensual sex. At the same time, I was very, very surprised, Mike, when I found out the statistics from men's side to the point where I'm like, did I do this research correctly? Like, what has happened? Let me go back and look into the data. And I looked at how I coded the data, everything. And as I was reading through previous literature, for example, Peggy Orenstein's book on boys and sex and the SHIFT project from Columbia University, which report similar statistics that men's sexual assault is on the rise. Now, we have to take into the fact that it's not higher order sexual assault compared to women. It's low order sexual assault. The fact that women are, men are, non-consensual non-consensually being touched men are also um uh, uh, what do you call that enacting sexual acts to get out of higher order sexual acts so probably go down on the woman so that you don't have to have sex with her so in those ways those numbers are on the rise so we are attaining equality in a very twisted way where toxic yeah. behaviors are not going down it's just that there is a drive to normalize toxic behaviors to attain gender equality so that, you know, it seems like it's an equal playing ground. Aditi Paul is the author of The Current Collegiate Hookup Culture. She teaches communication and media studies at Pace University. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Mike. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And now the spiel. Here is the moment when the man who Newsweek once called the black Jimmy Stewart with, quote, a Tom Hanksian level of likability could have saved his persona and reputation. I want to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to my, all my fellow nominees. Um... There, that space, that I want to apologize to Chris Rock-sized space. But Will Smith did not apologize to Chris Rock. Smith, after slapping Rock, was not escorted out, was not arrested, was not, as far as I could tell, in any way critiqued. Not by his peers in the room, not by the producers of the ceremony, not by the party goers afterwards who were dancing, not by the Academy itself. In fact, the producers of the Academy Awards continue to shoot the broadcast with the exact same grammar as they always did that Will Smith was the hero in the middle of this story. And we cut his reaction shots as subsequent presenters attempted to address the assault we just witnessed. Exactly as one would cut to any celebrity with an OU finger wag at any comedian who was playing the role of jester to royalty. All right, maybe you're saying I'm taking the idea of a medieval court too far, or maybe not. Here was Marvette Brito, PR expert, who CNN had on to analyze the incident. But we saw him protecting a black queen, and we saw Chris understand what that was. The Academy worked hard to get us, the audience, to understand that this was Will Smith's moment of glory. In fact, the show allowed Smith to call the shots. Literally, remember during his speech, there was a cutaway to Venus and Serena Williams, then a quick shot of a generic Academy Awards graphic, then a couple more quick back and forths between the Williams and that graphic. People wondered what was going on. Well, the producers can cut off the sound. We heard that or didn't, as the case may be, as Chris Rock was saying, Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. They can also dump out of the video. So when Will Smith said during his speech, I just spit, I hope they didn't see that on TV. Um, The production booth acquiesced. In fact, the rules of not even filmmaking, but human curiosity would dictate that the American people should see some ugly crying from a person who was at that moment claiming to be an ambassador of love and a river to his people. But the rules of royalty don't allow defiance in the face of an instruction. They don't allow you to look away for a moment. Okay, has Sir Lancelot composed himself? Now look back. The producers also framed Smith as getting a standing ovation by focusing on those who were standing. But reports from inside the auditorium indicate that many people were not though a standing ovation would have been unanimous had this stunning act of violence not occurred. The Oscars are, of course, an idealized version of Hollywood. They are the myth-makers of the myth-makers. So maybe that's why the presentation on offer was so kind to Smith. Or the producers could have been in shock, too, to be fair to them. So they just fell back into patterns they were comfortable with. In the short time between Will Smith's professional nadir and his professional apex. They had choices to make or choices not to make. But what we saw was the standard story 
that we were all inside a great moment for Will Smith. And anything complicating that moment was to be understood in the context of the hero's journey. That, as Denzel Washington said to him, complications put forward were acts by the devil there to interrupt him in his path. I wouldn't be surprised if we come to find that no one actually decided against escorting Will Smith from the theater. I wouldn't be surprised if the thought just never occurred to anyone because the jester has to take his lumps or slaps from royalty. And that's it for today's show. Corey Wara is the assistant producer of The Gist. Joel Patterson is The Gist senior producer. Michelle Pesca is Peach Fish Productions, ambassador of love, care, and concern. The Gist is presented by Libsyn in collaboration with AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to advertisecast.com slash the gist. Oomperu depperu duperu, and thanks for listening. <laughs>